My name is Marion Osborne. Our first reading is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The word of the Lord. God. Dear God, this day is a gift you've given to us, and we offer it back to you. I thank you for the men, women, and children who've crossed the threshold of this high school because uh, they want to be touched and met by you. Some of us, again, come in with joy. Some of us come in with sorrow. But we do gather together and grab one another, sort of stretch out our arms around one another and say, Lord, here we are, um, your people, in need of your direction and wisdom and guidance. So um, use your word the ways you have for centuries to instruct and teach us. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, again, I'm Dean Miller, and glad to be back. I was out of town last week at some meetings, so delighted to be back with you this morning. Um, if you have a Bible and want to turn to Matthew 6, that's what you just heard Michelle read in our second reading, and that is uh, where we'll be. We're in this series on the Lord's Prayer, and I want to ask you a question as we begin to jump in. Um, if I was going to say, like, how do you get up in the morning, and what, what helps you make it through the day and the week? Like, what are the things that you need or do to help you make it through the week. So anybody drink coffee in the morning? Let's get way up. Come on, you know who you are. Or tea. A couple of trade-offs. Okay, good. Anybody try to do exercise in the morning or the afternoon? Kind of helps to keep going. Anybody do some journaling? A few less journalers. Gardening. There's particular music you need. Maybe there's friends you make sure you connect with or just friends in general. Some of us uh, not just in a bad way, but a great way. Work is a part of also making the week. Lots of us have engaging work, things we like to do. What are those things that, that you do to help you have hope and strength and courage to live in the day-to-day -day here in Northern Virginia? Again, this week, we are in week eight of week nine, next, of nine weeks in our series on the Lord's Prayer. Next week will be our last week. And success in the series is that you are are praying and engaging God more in prayer than when we started. Success in this series is not, again, if I preach a really rip-roaring sermon this morning, although let's hope, but success is if you're engaging God more on your own through the Lord's Prayer. 
Um, so we hope that's happening. I hope this is fueling your prayer life. And we come this morning to the last of the three petitions we make to God on behalf of our work with God. There's the three that are about God's work that we start with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, etc. Now we're on the three that are more about our work with God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, which our good friend Matt Hemsley taught on last week. And then this morning, this one on trial and evil. And as we come to the, the finish of these petitions, it's again worth remembering that Jesus is, is giving us this prayer. Jesus himself is teaching us, his disciples, to pray as we remain in the fallen world to be his people. In the day-to-day life we have here and now, where we need hope and strength and courage. These are Jesus' words for us as we live in Vienna and Reston and Tyson's Corner and Falls Church and Annandale and Burke and Springfield and on and on. And in the sermon this morning, a good way to know, think about it is there'll be a lot of T's, words with T's. There'll be a bit of amazing near the end, and I'll tell you when that's happening. And then we're going to have some Anglican formation fun before we're done, which we've done each week. I've preach to talk about what's it mean to be an Anglican, to be in this particular stream of the Christian faith, and how this prayer affects how we think about being close to God and serving him. So, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does this little line mean? What can we learn from this simple phrase? Well, first, life does have trial and temptation and trouble. If you came this morning thinking, oh, you don't have trial, temptation, or trouble, although I doubt any of you did, but just to clarify, for sure, in life, in this world, there are hard times. The word here in Greek used for all those things, trial and temptation and trouble, when it's translated, depending on your Bible, actually has two major meanings. One is this idea of a trial or test, and the other is temptation. Now, a test is something to prove someone's character, right? And in the process, improve it. That's the idea of a trial or test. A temptation is meant to entice a person to sin. Another way to say it is to bring a person down in some way. This scholar that I love that we've quoted a lot in this series, William Barclay, describes it this way. The Greek word prasmos is regularly used of the divine placing of a man or woman in a situation which is a test. A situation in which he or she may fall, but they're not meant to fall. And it's the same idea and phrase we use when we talk about refining gold, which Paul uses later in the New Testament. This sense of you and I being tested, proven, strengthened. So the, the, the clearest translation or understanding of this word in your Bible is that lead us not into too hard a trial or a test. Jesus is saying, Father, as you lead us into the trial, do not let the test become a temptation to sin, to leaving you, but rather deliver us from the evil one in those tests. And remember, we're in Matthew 6. So just a few chapters later, we saw Jesus live this out, right? He's led into the wilderness for 40 days for the devil to what? Test him, refine him. So he is teaching us to pray from deep learned experience. It'd be like you met with a personal trainer. Some of you do that. And you went and they said, hey, it's leg day today. And you're there and you're like, you know, I would like to have strong legs. Everybody says that's good. Don't want to fall down when I get older. Like to be able to run faster, jump higher. Okay, but you know this trainer's tough. And so he's going to try your muscles and test your muscles. You're going to be tired. You might even be in pain, sore. 
And so what you might say to him is, hey, test me and trial me, but just don't push me so far that I tear my hamstring or rip my Achilles. That's in essence what Jesus is teaching us to pray here. Lord God, test me, make me strong, but not so much that I tear something and can't make it. There's a second century B.C. Jewish writer named Ben Sirach, and he has this great line. My child, if you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for testing. My child, if you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for testing. This is a couple centuries before Jesus. So it was the Jewish understanding. This is what life with God was like. So first, this simple phrase teaches us that life does have trial and temptation and trouble. Second, then, the phrase teaches us that there's evil in the world. And not just evil, but more directly, an evil one. The Bible particularizes evil. It says it's actually just not this abstract concept. It's a personal, relational evil. Like with Jesus in the wilderness, there is an enemy out for your and my destruction. Again, we already saw this at the beginning of Matthew in the wilderness, and we'll see it again at the end when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's being tempted, trying to be destroyed. That's what the devil wants to do. And the Bible knows evil then as an active personal antagonist in opposition to God. Active personal antagonist in opposition to God in you, too, not just God broadly. The word Satan, which we often use in the Bible for the devil, it means literally adversary or opponent. So think if you follow sports of your favorite team and your most hated opponent. Maybe you're a Red Sox fan, so of course that means you have to grow up hating the Yankees. In our house, we're big Premier League fans. We've got some need for healing prayer down here as we talk about the Red Sox and Yankees. In our house, we're big Premier League fans. Some of our family loves Arsenal, which means for sure some of us hate Tottenham. This church was founded on a lot of Pittsburgh love, so there's, of course, the Steelers who hate the Ravens right around the corner. And, of course, Madison High School, you've got to hate Oakton High School. Look, I didn't even need to pause. People are trained, right? An active personal antagonist in opposition to you and your life with God. So you and I are going to be facing trials with an enemy in the mix and even darkness in the world. And what Jesus is teaching us is to ask God to deliver us in that battle as we walk in those trials so we'd not give over to temptation. So the meaning here is, is deep and rich, but it does beg some questions for me as I understand these particular parts of this phrase, that there's trial and temptation and an evil one. It begs for me three particular questions as I looked at it this week. One, why does God allow this to happen? Maybe you have that question. Why the trial? Okay, the trial, objectively, but why the trial? And then how does this evil become temptation or too much? If I have an enemy, I'd kind of like to know how to fight back. Like, can the devil go to his left? Does he make free throws? How does this evil happen so I can resist it? And even more importantly and personally, how are these three petitions about bread and forgiveness and temptation to help me make it in the real world this week? How are they to give me hope and strength and courage in my day-to-day living? And I'd like to answer those three questions as we finish this morning. First, why? Why God? God allows trial, even leads us into trial like Jesus. Again, it's so clear in the scriptures, in the gospels, it says Jesus was led into the wilderness, not he stumbled by accident into the wilderness. God allows trials, even leads us into trial because the deepest joy, 
in being fully human is to fully trust God. The deepest joy in being fully human is to fully trust God, be wholly delivered and surrendered to God. It really is. Now the devil, the evil one, the tempter wants us to doubt God. We see this throughout the Bible and you can see it in your life. We saw it back in Genesis 3 last summer, right about now, last summer, June. What does the devil do? He comes to Eve and says, does God really say? Did he really mean? Can you really trust God's love for you is what he's begging. Can you, Eve, trust God? This is the devil's tactic and strategy all together, getting you and me to not trust God. It must be because trusting God is the antithesis of what my enemy wants me to do. So it must inherently be good. Whatever your enemy wants you to do, do the other thing. At their core, the temptations and trials are begging that question. You giving your life maybe to something, this, that, or the other that you think might be worth your trust. You devoting yourself to a noble endeavor or a relationship or maybe even an escape. The difficulties you're facing may be so hard you feel like I just can't keep trusting anymore. I've tried. I have been holding on with both hands and then one hand and I'm down to my finger or thumb. The strategy of the devil is to get us to doubt the love of our Father. Again, think about the beginning of this prayer. But trusting God fully is in fact being fully human. And what God wants you and I to be able to do is be strong. The trials are sent not to get you into sin, but to have strong legs from leg day, to be good and strong in the world. If trusting God is actually fully human, if trusting God wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, is fully human, then doubting God and disobeying God is the opposite of being fully human. It's actually psychically destructive to who you are as a man or woman. It's what the evil one wants and what God has determined to thwart. So he is going to take you into trial and test so that you are strong enough to push back, to push back evil and darkness in your life, in the ones lives of those you love, maybe in the lives of those you don't even know yet or the people in your neighborhood, or people in Vienna, or the other places we live, to push the darkness back, to demonstrate what it's like to trust God and be fully human. Because God is committed to you and I knowing full life in this broken world, which again is rooted in our trust, and is demonstrated by the life of Jesus in just a few chapters earlier in Matthew. Why? What about how? How does this evil become temptation or too much? How does trial move from trial and test to sin and are interlocking our lives with those opposed to God? How can that happen? Now we know then from the other parts of the New Testament, particularly in Ephesians, that we, it's not, the world is not so messed up just because of you or just because of those in your aisle or across the aisle here in the auditorium. It's actually the world, the flesh, and the devil affect this world we live in, both for God's goodness or for brokenness. But let's say you have a temptation in yourself, a particular weakness that you know can lead from test or trial to temptation to sin. And maybe you put yourself in a situation that the world, again, world, flesh, devil, that the world is happy to exploit. And as the world is exploiting that temptation, then the devil pushes the opportunity you again and again and again for that opportunity to become sin. 
And you can either give in to the devil or you can flee the devil. We do read in the New Testament again that you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil can't push you forever. So there might again be that weakness in yourself that the world affects and the devil uses. Or maybe you're facing something in your life that the pain is too difficult, the burden's too much, or the hardness. So you develop some form of escape for not feeling that pain or difficulty. And you flee then in that escape. You could choose deepening your trust with God or you can choose the escape. And maybe over time the escape becomes bigger and bigger. I'm gonna touch on that more in a minute. Maybe you're feeling particularly lonely. Let's get really specific. Maybe you struggle with wanting to be liked or loved or just to have friends at your work or when your family gets together, everybody's always picked on you. You're the little brother or sister or here at the high school and you want to have friends in the group in the high school. And so you like gossip because when everybody gossips, it gives you a way in. And you know when you gossip, you're tearing somebody else down and your face might be one way to this set of people and you'd look a different way to this set of people and you don't like that about yourself, but you really, in your own flesh, would like in a genuine, holy, true, good way, friends. And so you consistently put yourself in the world in situations or contexts or the workroom in places where the topics are gonna be other people. And as you're in there, you're beginning to feel like, boy, my flesh in this worldly setting is sure tempted to join in. And before you know it, because you want approval and maybe can't trust God with that, you're going to gossip. I substitute taught to get help get through grad school. One of the worst places to go for gossip in the entire world is the break room in a school. Because people, teachers have hard jobs, hard work. We love our teachers. But you know, you go into those rooms, people are going to decompress and they're going to say stuff about kids that the kids should never hear and probably you shouldn't ever hear them either. But if you're new or younger and a lot of older teachers and you want to be on the in-group, you might want to gossip a little. And before you know it, you're not just in testing or trial, but you're in temptation and sin because of your flesh and the world and the devil. See, when they were looking to take Europe in World War II, what did they search for? They searched for a beachhead, a bridgehead where they could land troops. So what we knew and celebrated this past week was the the victory, the beginning of the victory at Normandy on June 6, 1944. But Normandy's really just a beachhead. And all that happened there was we established a beachhead to go conquer. And what the devil is always looking for is for you and I to give God or to turn our back on God and give him a beachhead. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So a question as you ask how might be, dear Lord, where am I giving the evil one a beachhead in my life to blow up my trust of the Father. We'll flesh that out here in just a second then, because as we move to from the why to the how of testing and trial, to how did these petitions mean something to me this week? These particular petitions about bread and forgiveness and temptation, how did these prayers help me have hope and courage and strength and even joy in this broken world you and I live in. Maybe more specifically, is the Lord's Prayer more important than my morning coffee? Could it be, not just theologically, if I asked you if it was, you'd say, sure. But if I was like, no, really. Because I believe it really is. Can we agree that life is hard? 
If you think life is now or can be hard, no, let's, please, let's, okay, it's pretty universal. We'll take a quick poll. Yep, everybody. Can, can you agree that life is perhaps harder than you thought it could be? In this room are an amazing group of lovely people. Most of you know I've been with you for years on and off, but then full-time since October, and people have often asked, well, how's it going at CCV? And without fail in that paragraph, I say, this is a lovely community of people to serve. I know more of your stories now than I did when I started, and there's an unbelievable amount of love and joy and hope and community here in the men, women, and children in this room. But there's also a significant amount of burden and pain and sorrow. And some of that pain is almost unbearable for some of you. And I would argue that in my interactions, I haven't gotten to know everybody, but everybody I've gotten to know probably has some super deep burden somewhere that they are carrying. Their own burden, burden of someone they love, extended family, neighbors, friends. And frankly, it's easy in light of the world being hard to want to escape some of this hardship. T.S. Eliot wrote, humankind cannot bear much reality. Reality is hard. Just in the last 24 hours, my wife and I heard about friends, two friends who have cancer, one an older woman, another mother of young kids, brain cancer. That's really more reality than I wanted this weekend. And I'd like a break from some of that sadness or pain. How do we do that? Sometimes we do it in healthy, normal ways. We use things like exercise or TV or sports. We might be on our phones, play some TikTok. Quick aside, as you head into summer and you're a parent, and you might feel like, oh no, my kids are always on their phones. Something you might want to ask is, is that phone a means to giving them a breather from the hardship they experience or feel and anxiety in the world? Because you can't go to any major news outlet of the last 12 months and not find an article or report on the weight kids are carrying in the world. Now, technology won't solve it, but it might be as you look at them, you might want to think, is this giving them a break? I should ask. Go behind the phone and ask your child, how are you doing? Because we all do those things. Kids, guess what? Your folks have those things too. Mom and dad, you seem to be staring blankly into space outside. Mom and dad, that's eight hours of Netflix today. Mom and dad. All of us have places that can become these places of a break to escape to distraction to running from real trust in God. Fleeing from the path of truer life, real bravery, being fully human. And if we're not careful, it can go from the flesh to the world to evil. And my safety becomes those things. Now, if you remember, many of us were together during the winter to look at the book of Kings. And what we extracted at the end, we did a week on the bad kings and the good kings. And remember, if we, what we said was, the only difference was how they handled questions about three major things. Anybody remember what those three major things were? Things we are all concerned about. Provision, salvation, and protection. About food, being able to provide for their kingdoms, 
about the relationship to God? Can they be saved? Is the God that they've been serving really the God who will save them? Forgive them, restore relationship? And about protection from evil personified then, the evil one particularly was Assyria and Babylon. Food, restored relationships with God and others, and evil. Which as you use that lens sounds suspiciously like Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So do you mean to say, Dean, that this simple little prayer we pray every week is the vocabulary for the godly kings of the Old Testament? Yes. That when you pray, when I pray these, Dean, are you saying I'm signing on to their devotion to God in the hard times? Even in the face of the wilderness like Jesus? Even in the Garden of Gethsemane like Jesus? Even with my child who's struggling? Or the grief and burden I carry every day? Or the anxiety that makes it hard to go to school? Or meet new people? Or for some of you even come here on a Sunday morning? Or send my kid to college in the fall which makes me want to break into a cold sweat? Or get ready for yet another State Department move? Or be present and seeking help and healing in my marriage at struggling. Dean, are you saying that those simple words are the same as praying for those things? And I'm saying yes. And I'm not saying on my behalf. I'm saying Jesus is giving you those words. The same words that they prayed in the Old Testament. To be faithful to God. The kings who are seen as good godly kings. Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? My disciples, my people, men, women, and children, pray these three things. They're simple phrases, but they're packed with theological power. That's the amazing. I told you I'd tell you when it happened. That's the amazing. And it's not from me in the sermon. That's packed in this little prayer in Matthew 6. It's going to get even better. Because you might be saying, well, that's all great and well and good, Dean. But who's going to do all that baking of bread and forgiving of people and protecting of others? Because guess what? I can't do it on my own. And guess what? That's what Jesus is saying too. You can't do it on your own. But who can? This is your Anglican Spirits Formation fun moment. A little brightness to commercial. What does it mean to follow Jesus? One of the things we do is we look at lenses. How do we understand the world? How does being a part of this particular church, this particular tradition, help us see and live in the world today? Corky didn't know that I was going to touch on this, but he talked in the creed. What did he say? He's talked about the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday was Trinity Sunday in the church calendar when we celebrate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our prayers this morning, you're going to hear it over and over again, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the communion liturgy, in the uh, Lord's Prayer, you're going to hear us. What what did the Trinity do? What are some of the activities of the Trinity? It's so vast, right? But to focus, if you're going to try to to simplify, which is a little dangerous to try to simplify the Trinity, but to give us a human understanding, you could say the Father creates, the Father brings life. And it brings life in all kinds of ways, but on the earth, for sure, it's in the processes of earth. Like with wheat for bread. God the creator built and established and made a world, formed a world that brings grain to life for bread. You also might say the Son saves 
right? Jesus saves. Remember that old bumper sticker some of us are old enough to remember. Simply, what does Jesus do? He saves. He redeems you and me. He extends forgiveness to us and invites us into a ministry of reconciliation to quote Paul in Rome. You are forgiven and you are sent to forgive. What's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit girds and walks with us in life, in trial and testing. Jesus tells us we should be thrilled because the Holy Spirit's coming to help us. He's gonna comfort, he's gonna guide, he's gonna protect us from falsehood. He's gonna protect us from not trusting God when it's the most important thing we can do. What do we know the Spirit does? He produces fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How do you think he does that? Through trial and testing. So the Father gives us that bread. When you say, give us this day our daily bread, you're praying to the Father of the Trinity. The Son extends forgiveness and helps us to forgive. When you're saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, you're asking Jesus for help. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. You're asking the Holy Spirit to walk with you in life when you're under trial and temptation and depression and discouragement and hopelessness. We will be selling t-shirts after the service, the Trinity, better than coffee. It's trademark. Please buy some. It's stunning. I'm going to cry. It's so stunning. The day-to-day life in this world can be hard. It is super hard for some of you. Jesus knows. The Father knows. The Holy Spirit knows. And you are not sent alone. Jesus is saying, trust me. Trust my Father. Trust the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is stronger than the trial you are in. Jesus is asking you to hold him fast as he will hold you fast. So as we finish in prayer, I want to give you a little more focused way to pray. And I'm going to pray and then stop. And Emily will be playing underneath before Hillary Gramlet comes up to lead us in our prayers of the people. Think of the three categories. Again, bread, forgiveness, and trial. Provision, salvation, protection. Maybe you're here this morning and the things that are really burdens are hard. The tempting away from trusting God are things like bread, like provision. It could be about work or car or summer job or school payments or retirement or house. And maybe as we go to prayer, you're gonna, you can just say to the Lord, here's, here's my concerns over daily bread. Father who creates, help me. Maybe your concerns are about forgiveness. And really what I mean, there's broken relationships. It could be with you and God, but it could be with you and a friend, someone in your family, within your family that doesn't have anything to do, but of course affects you. Something somebody else did, something you did. Again, maybe you want to ask God, the son, to save and redeem that situation. Or maybe your particular burden this morning are about trial. You're in a place of anxiety about school or work or depression, or hopelessness, or physical ailments, or your kids, or your parents. And you feel like, Lord, it's just too much. 
You're right on the edge of trial to temptation. And you're crying out for help. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, help us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that this prayer is a diamond with so many facets. And the embeddedness of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, deep in the midst of these petitions to help us live is really astounding and amazing. And again, you love this room. You love these men, women, and children. You love the, everybody here today. And you know these things are the things we get concerned or overwhelmed about, the things that can easily be used to tempt us away from trusting you. For sure there are areas in these things in my life where I'm tempted not to trust you. There are people here, Lord, carrying such unbearable suffering that it's amazing that they're even here. And so we need you. We need these words to come alive not in a theoretical way or an abstract theological way, but in a really personal way for as we sit in these creaky high school auditorium seats and we get ready to go out into the world in a few minutes, to, as we often say, to love and serve you. We do ask in the words of the older communion liturgy, liturgy that you would grant us strength and courage this morning as we pray. In your name, amen.